DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the St. Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He's the author of several books, including Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, A Theological Contemplation of Prayer. In this series of conversations with Dr. Lillis, we reflect on the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. Her retreat, Heaven and Faith, is the source of our current reflection. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Anthony. It's good to be with you, Chris. Today, we're doing the second prayer on the eighth day of Heaven and Faith. We've been going through this retreat very kind of methodically. The retreat is beginning to approach a crescendo. And this prayer, in many ways, is the threshold uh, into that crescendo. It's the beginning of it. And it brings up the theme of identification with Christ. We can kind of explore this beautiful theme, the theme, identification with Christ. It seems to me that all is lost since I have known the excelling knowledge of my Lord Jesus Christ. For love of him, I have forfeited everything. I have accounted all else rubbish that I may gain Christ. What I want is to know him, to share in his suffering, to become like him in his death. I pursue my course, striving to attain what he has destined me for, by taking hold of me. My whole concern is to forget what is behind and to strain forward constantly to what is ahead. I run straight to the goal, to the vocation to which God has called me in Christ Jesus. That is, I want only to be identified with Him. Miki vivere Christus est. Christ is my life. All the intensity of St. Paul's soul is poured out in these lines. The object of this retreat is to make us more like our adored Master. And even more, to become so one with him that we may say, I live no longer I, but he lives in me. And the life that I now live is this body of death. I live in the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Oh, Let us study this divine model. His knowledge, the Apostle tells us, is so excelling. And when he first 
came into the world, what did he say? You no longer delight in holocausts. So I have assumed a body, and I come, O oh God, to do your will. During the 33 years of his life, this will became so completely his daily bread that at the moment of handing over his soul into his father's hands, he could say to him, All is accomplished. Yes, all your desires, all have been realized. That is why I have glorified you on earth. When Jesus Christ spoke to his apostles of this food which they did not know, he explained to them that it was to do the will of him who sent me. Also, he could say, I am never alone. He who sent me is always with me because I do always the things that are pleasing to him. Let us lovingly eat this bread of the will of God. If sometimes his will is more crucifying, we can doubtless say with our adored master, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass me by. But we will add immediately, yet not as I will, but as you will. And in strength, and serenity, with the divine crucified, we will also climb our Calvary, singing in the depths of our hearts and raising a hymn of thanksgiving to the Father. For those who march on this way of sorrows are those whom he foreknew and predestined to be conformed to the image of his divine Son, the one crucified by love. In this passage, he's kind of telling us what the whole purpose of this retreat is. and The purpose is for us to be more like Jesus and to become so one with him that we can say with our lives and in our hearts, I live no longer I, but he lives in me. And the life that I now live in this body of death, I live in the faith of the Son of God, who has loved me and gave himself up for me. And to do this, now here, she's going to turn her eyes to the way that Jesus lived. John of the Cross has, incidentally, a very similar passage in his works, The Ascent to Mount Carmel, Book 1, Chapter 13. He's talking to souls there who want to make progress in the spiritual life. And he says, the first thing that we need to do if we want to make progress is we need to study Jesus. And if we study Jesus, we discover that he never willed to do anything except that it would give praise and glory to the Father. And Elizabeth is, even though she doesn't directly quote St. John of the Cross, she's certainly well aware of that teaching as a Carmelite, and she's pointing to the same reality. You want to grow in the spiritual life? Look to Jesus. Study him. 
imitate him. And as you do, you open up your heart to his life. And so this is a, just an aside, but an important point. When we talk mm-hmm. about imitating Christ and doing the will of the Father, it's not an external thing, uh, conforming ourselves to externals, like trying to calculate with our own cleverness, what would Jesus do in this situation? That's a great question to ask. But actually, to do the Father's will, we must go much deeper than that. We can only do the will of the Father if we, like Christ, listen to the Father, open our hearts up in silence to his word, the word he speaks to us in Christ Jesus. And that's why this passage begins with that beautiful reflection from St. Paul. I have count all else as lost, as I have known the excelling knowledge of my Lord Jesus Christ. To know Jesus, to avail ourselves of the wonder of his presence, to uh, open up the ears of our hearts to his voice that resounds throughout our daily lives at every moment, to open up the eyes of our hearts, to gaze upon his face, John Paul II, in his last letters that he he wrote, his last teachings, he wrote a pastoral letter urging the church to gaze on the face of Christ. He's speaking about a silent, contemplative prayer where we make ourselves attentive to Christ's loving presence, and we attend to it, and we behold him who was pierced for our offenses, when we behold him like that, we see the hostility, the sin, the ugliness, the weakness that uh, needs to be overcome in our hearts. And we realize that he loves us more than that. He loves us beyond that, that his love is stronger than that. And we can have confidence in him. This is what Elizabeth is getting at. And this is what St. Paul is getting at, this passage of being identified with Christ. Because when you behold Christ like this is the the great secret of the Christian life. In the Christian life, there is a primacy of contemplation, a primacy of gazing on Christ, a primacy of attending to him. Even when he doesn't seem to be there, there's a primacy of this because when we do this, he, Christ, is able to communicate into our hearts his very life. Miki vivere Christus est. Christ is my life. All the intensity of St. Paul's soul is poured out in these lines. The object of this retreat is to make us more like our adored master. And even more, to become so one with him that we may say, I live no longer I, but he lives in me. And the life that I now live is this body of death. I live in the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. When we look to him, Jesus is able to give what we do not have. We who are subject to death, all of a sudden have a new life in us, and things that didn't seem possible before 
all of a sudden they open up and the possibility of them, it becomes alive. And we realize that doing the will of the Father is just a decision away. I'm recalling the first prayer of the day where she emphasizes the importance by our baptism. She reiterates that. So in the second prayer, when we hear these words of St. Paul, I think it's important, at least for me, to really appreciate that by virtue of baptism, just as St. Paul says, it's not I who live, but Christ who dwells in me. I I wonder if we really appreciate that tremendous gift of his presence in our substance. Yeah, this living presence of Christ. It could be that some people who are listening to this program, it could be that they don't believe they've ever experienced it. And it could be that some people are wondering what this is. And by experiencing it, I'm not saying that we're in search of a a spiritual high or anything like Mm -hmm. that, but the presence of our risen Savior, the one crucified by love, for our sake, is very real. He is with us right now during this program. He's with each one of the listeners. He is present to them. His presence is very subtle and very gentle. Sometimes his presence is so hidden we can scarcely recognize it. Sometimes his presence comes to us, as Elizabeth of the Trinity is saying here, in crucifying moments. Uh, It could be that some of our listeners out there are in a very crucifying moment in their life right now. It could be that somebody is tortured by loneliness or that someone is physically in great pain or that someone feels that they've been abandoned and it feels like there is no more hope. In each one of those experiences, Christ Jesus the one crucified by love, is present to you. Mother Teresa was working with a dying woman. The woman was in great agony, and it was a very difficult death. And Mother Teresa said to the woman, she said, you know, this suffering that you're going through, this is Jesus kissing you. And Mm. the woman looked back up into Mother Teresa's eyes and grabbed her hands, and she said, I know it is Mother Teresa could you ask Jesus not to kiss me so much? And um, for those of you who are overwhelmed with the kisses of Christ right now, overwhelmed because doing the Father's will seems like it's pushed you way to the edge, how blessed and how sacred the place you are in. You are living a life identified with Christ. And Christ right now is giving you the grace to say yes to him, to open up your heart, open up your heart wide to the Redeemer. And to this end, I would just echo what John Paul II said at the beginning of his pontificate. Do not be afraid to open wide the doors to the Redeemer. Open wide the door of your hearts and say yes to him. Let the excelling knowledge of Christ flow into your soul and cleave to him with all your strength. Believe in him. He is with you even if you can't feel him, even if you can't think about him, even uh, if it just feels and seems like there's nothing there. He is with you. Believe in him. The whole thing here in this whole uh, passage 
is that when we do the will of the Father, it nourishes our soul. As our soul is nourished in doing the will of the Father, there's something very beautiful that happens, and Elizabeth refers to this, and I don't want to lose it uh, because this is so rich. And in strength and serenity, with the divine crucified, we will also climb our Calvary, singing in the depths of our hearts and raising a hymn of thanksgiving to the Father. For those who march on this way of sorrows are those whom he foreknew and predestined to be conformed to the image of his divine Son the one crucified by love. All of us are on the pathway to Calvary. All of us are following Christ. We can't be Christ's disciples if we do not pick up our cross and follow him. And that cross, that Father's will in our life, that surrender, when it seems like we're losing, when we're completely vulnerable, but we do the right thing anyway. We choose to love anyway. This is what it means to climb Calvary. But notice this, and this is for me the most beautiful part. We will also climb our Calvary singing in the depths of our hearts and raising a hymn of thanksgiving to the Father. In Elizabeth's vision of the crucifixion of Jesus, Jesus, even though he physically can't sing, is singing the praise of the Father's glory. While he carries the cross and while he's crucified, Elizabeth sees him as raising a a song, a canticle of thanksgiving. And this is the great secret of the Christian life. In the midst of all the different trials that assail us and come down on us, when it seems so overwhelming and so overbearing, uh, with Christ's life in us, We can give thanks. We can still give thanks. And our thanks isn't conquered by the adverse conditions that surround us. With Christ, we can find a reason to be thankful again. The joy isn't stamped out. His life in us continues to explode, even as we physically are dying. We can do this. We can live like this as we climb our Calvary, as we are crucified. Because this is what Jesus did in Elizabeth's vision. I talked in our last show, I talked about becoming the praise of God's glory. It means raising a song in our hearts, a song that maybe nobody will hear, or or only those who are very, very close to us can hear. But it is a song that nonetheless delights the heart of the Father. It's the song of suffering love. Those who learn this song, learn the love of the Father because his love is suffering. He aches for humanity. He aches for each one of us. Through Christ and with Christ and in Christ, we share in that love and it it expresses itself even as we tread this pathway of sorrow. And it's in this context that Elizabeth says uh, that we become those whom he foreknew and predestined to be conformed to the image of his divine son, the one crucified by love. So what a great place Elizabeth has brought us to. She's brought us to the mystery of the cross, the place where the limits of our humanity 
meet the limitlessness of God. Uh, the line from that last passage in the second prayer, that first one, I, I never ever contemplated this before, Anthony. Let us lovingly eat this bread of the will of God. If sometimes His will is more crucifying, we can doubtless say with our adored Master, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass me by. But we will add immediately, yet not as I will, but as you will. Wow, there's so much right there. I mean, let us lovingly eat this bread of the will of God. It, wow. There's a, uh, there, there's a movie that was released, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. The uh, Mahdi Sisters, I think, or the Sisters of Mahdi, something like that. Uh, there's a kitchen scene. It's a modern family set somewhere on the East Coast. The younger sister's divorced, and the older sister lives in a pretty difficult marriage. And the uh, husband walks in and, and blows up in front of the sisters and walks out. And the younger sister says, said, you know, are you resigned to be treated like that? And the, the older sister looks at her sister and says, I am not resigned. I am surrendered to lovingly eat the will of the Father. This is to surrender to his great love. It is Christianity. Our faith is not a stoicism by which we resolve to not let our emotions get the best of us and hedge through life the best we can with our chins up. The Christian life is about surrendering to the will of the Father to allow that will to strengthen us, to live on that love. And it's a loving surrender. It's a loving obedience, not a mindless obedience, but a loving obedience obedience done by love, in love, for love. And, and as we do that, you're right, that's a beautiful question. Then we become like Christ, Christ the one who was crucified by love. And this is, to my mind, this is Elizabeth at her, her very best. She's opening up the possibility of us living so identified with Christ that we will bring delight to the heart of the Father by our loving obedience even as everything falls apart around us, we will bring delight to the heart of, our, of the Father, our loving obedience. His heart will thrill that someone has uh, surrendered and opened themselves to his word and allowed it to bear great fruit. When the Father thrills in us, when he, when he blesses us, divine life explodes into this world. Uh, it's an amazing thing. I've seen this several times with, with great Christian people when they let themselves be pulled into this mystery of love when they chew on the will of the Father with all the love they can muster. God uses them as like fiery icons of hope in ways they don't even know. And this is the mystery Elizabeth is pointing us to here. Now, it's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> it is. They call it suffering for a reason. Yeah. It's so, it's, can I say it's not for the faint-hearted? No. It has to be the Christ-hearted, I suppose. No, you know, there is a relentless realism in our Christian faith 
the Christian faith isn't about escaping from reality at all. It's about getting the, the courage and the strength we need to face it. And we can't face it on our own. We can only face it animated by the Holy Spirit. So in that sense, Christianity is the only uh, religion that really deals with reality. It fully engages it up front. And that's why it's difficult. Dealing with reality is hard. By our faith, we know that as hard as it is, we are never alone when we do it. And it's never just about us when we do it. It's all about God and the magnificent things he can do through us if we say yes to him. Amen. Anthony, any final thoughts on this incredibly rich day, the eighth day of heaven and faith? Well, just this idea, identification with Christ, this mystery by which we live in Christ and Christ lives in us and his life uh, informs our life. Uh, so that we're able to live our heaven and faith right here and now. And uh, we're able to bring together uh, uh, God's will and, uh, and the uh, real-life circumstances that play out on this earth in our lives. This is a, a powerful thing that we need to rediscover in our families and our everyday relationships. There's a tendency that we sometimes have to, we'll think these thoughts and they're beautiful and good, but we don't let them become concrete things in our lives. Elizabeth is telling her sister, make this concrete. Say yes to it. Let him meet him. He's real. And when you meet him, he communicates something to you. He communicates himself to you. And uh, when it does, it makes all the difference. Uh, It allows you to sing in the most difficult circumstances and give thanks when uh, most everybody else will run away. It allows you to stand firm. And I I just feel today with the different things that are going on in our society, in our culture, uh, in our country, really, we need good Christian men and women, good Catholic men and women who are going to stand firm with the life of Christ in them. Let him be their courage, their bravery. The world needs us to stand firm more than ever. Mm, amen. Thank you. Anthony Lillis, thank you so much. Have a uh, Thank you. It's uh, wonderful to be with you. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis.